I'm Jan Suk Fong Lee. And I'm Dina Del Vucchia. And this is Can't Live. Do, 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 do. Can't Live. We talk about books and stuff. Hello and welcome to Can't Lit, the podcast that keeps recording even when you're like, no, maybe we shouldn't <laughs> do it anymore. Maybe people are tired of it. Maybe everyone's over it. Oh no, I'm losing my voice. <gasps> We were both yelling. Hi, Dina. (laughs) We've both been yelling. Last night, we were both yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Not at each other, but like at each other, but in a way where we were excited about things. Um, Not in a way where we were angry at each other. If people are wondering if we really do hang out together all the time, (laughs) if this is, this is not a showmance is what I'm saying. No, it's not. It's not a showmance at all. Uh, Jen, do you remember the first time you heard the word showmance? Yeah, I think it had to do with, oh, shoot, what famous person did it have to do? It might have been, you know what, I don't think this is the first time I heard it, but I know I really started to think about it when, uh, what's his face, Shawn Mendes and Camilla Cabello were dating. Also, they're redating now. I just want everyone to know that. I'm really caught up on Great. this. Great. Congrats <laughs> to them. I think I first heard it way back in like, maybe 2006 uh because of big brother oh yeah big brother there were always showmances on big brother um speaking of showmances (laughs) just kidding this has nothing to do with that (laughs) we have of course an incredible guest andrew f sullivan is here and he's the author of multiple novels the Handyman Method, co-written with Nick Cutter, Waste, and uh, the story collection, All We Want Is Everything. He has an extremely cool wife, Amy <laughs> Jones, who we love. We and cohabitates with one of Cantlet's favorite animals, Iggy. And today we're going to talk about his new novel out now with ECW Press, The Marigold. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Thanks for having me, Dina and Jen. I'm glad that my dog and my wife precede me. Uh, you know, I'm very used to that. And, uh, I think that's how it should be. Uh, Iggy is a very tubular-shaped animal who just, you know, radiates positivity and joy. So that's good to have in my life. Balances me out. And, uh, yes, Amy... Uh, also, we'll have a book out soon, and, you know, we're kind of that two-writer household where uh, ideally we're not both doing edits at the same time, so chores will get done. It's only really bleak when we're both under deadline, so, you know, spreading out those book launches helps. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, great to be here. The Marigold is a very weird, freaky book that I'm really just happy exists uh, because of ECW and because of the team there and the editors and sort of the whole machine. Um, you know, it can be really difficult these days doing indie books in Canada. And so when you have that kind of support and you can kind of see a book grow, it's pretty awesome. Um, so I'm really kind of enjoying sort of this book coming to life, uh, and happy to be here with you guys on a podcast that has, yes, that keeps going. How many episodes are you on now? To be honest, uh, a hundred and something. It's over a hundred. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So like so many podcasts are like two dudes who want to talk about a historical thing that happened that's like semi-interesting uh and then they end after like seven episodes when they realize like wikipedia can only give you so much information to read on a podcast Uh, so the fact that you guys 
have keeping this alive and keeping it, you know, relevant and keeping in touch with everything that's going on, I think is really great. Uh, so well, it's fun to be here talking about books. We're glad you're here. Um, I was going to say it's because there's always new books and always new authors yeah. who want to talk to you, which is amazing. But also because like, we also talk trash about Ken Lit, and there's always new trash. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always garbage. Day. Yeah. No, it's somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So what's happening? Jen, do you want to tell us what's happening as you dab your nose with a tissue? I'm so gross. I'm so gross. We, okay, I'll tell you what's happening. Last night, we launched uh, Sunsetter by Curtis LeBlanc, my first acquisition baby uh, for ECW. Uh, I also had allergies there. Also, last night, I was farting like throughout the event. I don't think anyone heard me or if they smelled it, no one said anything to me. Uh, oh no. My, I know my voice is a little wrecked. Cause I think I was yelling. I was hosting, but we had a lovely time. Like we had, um, Michael Lemeski and like, uh, Brandy bird. Micah sang a wonderful song about the years that you're in high school, which was very hilarious. Um, and Brandy read some of their really beautiful poetry and Curtis was lovely. We, he wore a nice shirt that matched his book. Um, he seemed overwhelmed, but that was great. And like me and his mom figured out the book sales. <laughs> Shout out to Anne. Don't know if Anne listens to the podcast, but like, hi, Anne. Um, that was really like, that was what was happening. And Dino was there and we drank some shitty neutral sodas, but that's fine. That's fine. It was fine. What's happening? What's happening with you, Dina? Then we both got into Tesla Ubers. Oh. Yeah. And we were wow. both talking about how we don't know how to open the doors. We're like... We're like stabbing <laughs> the air. We're just stabbing the air. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're... Yeah, I had a Tesla cut me off the other day in traffic, like full out. Like, I was like, is he drunk? Like, just swooshed across three lanes fully tinted windows and you know he had like the green energy license plate like i'm a good boy it's <laughs> <laughs> so true i'm gonna kill some people but not yeah yeah, yeah. but i'm gonna do it efficiently <laughs> quietly and, and definitely not in my own lane uh yeah no i had to i was like for the next kilometer just like slowly inching up behind him like i will see you i will know you <laughs> I will look through those tinted windows, man. And then eventually I did pass him again and I felt restored. Uh, but Teslas have replaced BMWs as the cars I'm the most scared to be near. Oh, well, they are really quiet, which is which is the thing about like, I think I'm going to get hit by one. Yeah. Which is like, uh, like, yeah, BMWs generally love to come screaming out of an alley and don't care who might be mm-hmm. like walking across the street but oh yeah tesla's are just chaos everywhere yeah. yeah yeah i think if you like implicitly believe that your car is going to protect you and or is saving the environment you're gonna like maybe believe that you're also a good driver absolutely uh, and <laughs> all those things can't be true at the same time unfortunately nope, they really can't yeah. um they're not mutually supportive they're <laughs> They can't exist on their own, but they, they don't support one another consistently. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what's happening with me is it was sunny for multiple days in a row, and I felt alive. Like, I felt <laughs> good. I was genuinely smiling. 
walking around, fucking snow white shit, just like saying hi to birds. I was prancing. I felt so good. And because it, it's been really cold here, like getting close to freezing at night, which is not normal for this time of year. So also today I, after this, for those who are constantly following this saga, I will be going to my community garden and planting things. Yeah. So pretty exciting. Putting in some flowers, putting in some lettuces. Do you think it's warm enough now to put in those things? Yeah. I think those things are going to be fine. I mean, it's not tomato time yet. Cause you know, you know, that's what I care about the most, but, um, yeah. yeah. In my in my Italian style, all I care about is just like having great tomatoes. Yeah, I was going to say in the Italian style, you have to really focus on what it's like tomatoes, basil. Yeah. Um, I actually usually grow basil just in my apartment windowsill only because it gets eaten a lot. <laughs> Cuz th- th- there's so many skunks in this neighborhood specifically, but then there's also like rats and yeah. Raccoons have other food. I'm sure they're not eating that. They're like too healthy. No, thank yeah. you. But um other little critters for sure. Are like are like Vancouver rats eat like making pesto? What's happening? I honestly <laughs> yeah, they're like ratatouille. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they've taken a they've taken a hint that Italian cuisine might be the way forward. Yeah. They're uh, they're yeah. into the dumpsters, they're getting the parm, they're getting the parmigiano, <laughs> they're like getting ready. Yeah. Yeah gastronomized rats yeah no i think skunks are also i think kind of on the upswing even out here in ontario i love i do feel like they like they run shit uh they maybe are even putting some pressure on the raccoons outside of toronto because you know that's fascinating yeah yeah i mean they're willing to tear up an entire lawn you know to feast on the grubs and and, you know, their babies are just cuter. It's like a whole, you know. So a- cute. I mean, a baby raccoon is cute, but a baby skunk is like, their butts are so big. I love <laughs> Did I ever so tell much. You? Did I ever tell you about my neighborhood emo skunk? Did I ever tell you about him? No. Oh, so there's a, there's a skunk that wanders around and he always looks sad. So one <laughs> night I was taking work out to uh to pee and it was raining and it was dark and um he was sitting in my garden like in my garden and it would the rain is pouring down on him he's not under any shelter and he's just hunched over in the rain looking sad and then rosie comes out and looks at him and he looks at rosie and they're like hey hey and then he just like wanders off slowly through the rain all drenched and i'm like see you later emo skunk and like rosie didn't even have it in her to bark at him she's like he looks so sad it's not worth it (laughs) When does the album come out? Does yeah, he, I don't know. Yeah, is it, <laughs> I hope that I want Rosie to collab with this emo skunk. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the thing about Rosie is, is that she actually doesn't have any prey drive for like rats, squirrels, cats, nothing like that. Rabbits. She seems to get along with cats and rabbits just fine. She hates everybody else, but cats and rabbits are okay. <laughs> so I don't think she cared about that skunk all that much. That's amazing. <laughs> also, he just looks sad anyway. Yeah. In my previous apartment, we had, there were skunks all I'm sure they were living underneath the building and then also that's when um the family of raccoons every year there would be the raccoons that would give she would give birth on the fire escape oh ew <laughs> traditionally yeah <laughs> the ancient raccoon tradition of 
Firescape Earth. Yeah. And they, I, they really have, I guess they, they, they stay like for generations, they like to stay in their same spot. So like for Vancouver, it was an older building. It was from like 1915. And so who knows how many, and they would like walk along the edge, like four little baby raccoons just looking in. Yeah. And everyone oh, yeah. knows the story that listens to the podcast of the time the raccoon came into my apartment and took a bag of brown sugar and then threw it in the air. And it was <laughs> like like a, like a celebration? Just no, confetti? because I scared it. I, I came out oh, okay. of bed and I'm wearing just like a tank top and like my holy underwear. And I was like four in the morning. I was like, where are you? And then it just went, <laughs> ah! and like screaming it through the air. It was the best. It was the best. <laughs> oh, my God. Andrew, what's happening with you other than urban, urban animals, (laughs) urban animal lifestyle? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the marigold's just been out, so that's been nuts, but good. It's been uh, we did like three different launches. Uh, We did a big launch in Toronto with like 150 people, which was great. My friend Lauren Mitchell kind of did an intro and did some stand up. So it was just kind of fun to get everybody out, Uh, you know. Everyone's tired of winter, so it was kind of a coming together moment and, you know, sharing space with other people, which is great. Uh, And uh, I've just, I'm kind of just coming up for air now, I think. Like, last two weeks have been nuts. Uh, But in in a good way, in a way where, like, you know, I feel like I'm back. It has been, like, seven years since I had a book. So, you know, that gap you do feel after a while, but it feels very nice and... um, yeah, I don't have any animals trying to live in my house right now, which is huge. So that's a big, <laughs> you know, I've had squirrels at one point and bats at another. Uh, bats? Yeah, oh. I, I had a bat. Yeah, I had a singular bat. I was playing, uh, you know, when you get those Sunday scaries and you don't want to deal with the work week to come. I was in my basement at like 2 a.m. playing Bloodborne, which is a game that has vampires and werewolves and things in it. And as I'm playing, like a bat starts flying around me. And I was like, oh, wow, like the graphics have got so good. Uh, And then (laughs) realized what it was, ran upstairs, put on like my parka and oven mitts uh, and like a balaclava, uh, terrified Amy because it was 2 a.m. She was like, oh, he's finally, it's finally happened. He's gone crazy. Okay, like I was waiting for this. Uh, and, uh, I got it out. I didn't touch it. Like I didn't make human contact. I caught it in a towel and threw it outside. And, uh, yeah, now our had our house is bat proof. Uh, (laughs) we've got it sealed up and everything, but yeah, bats can, uh, end up in your basement. I thought it was crazy, right? I was like, Oh my God, it's in the basement. And the guy on the phone who had helped me out with some squirrels before, again, humanely was like, Dude, this is like 80% of my calls every, you know, like, like, he's like, there's no, if it's, he's like, if it's a normal house, there's nowhere for it to go. Like if it hit, hits your chimney and it just crawls sort of, he's like, eventually it'll come out near the furnace. Cause that's the only spot. Um, but we only had the one and it was all fine and there was no droppings and there was no, it all worked out. But, uh, yeah, life throws you these kind of fun moments of uh animal interaction um but it's all okay now and (laughs) i know i i know i can 
I'll put on my parka and oven mitts and confront whatever is in my basement <laughs> when I have to. You know? um, I mean, just a bat would be fine if it's something scarier. Like, what if it's like, well, don't they? Aren't there bats that are like the size of people? <laughs> what? No, I mean, there's like a bat. Really? I'm not, I'm not aware of this. And you okay, know, no, like, I, you know I, I'm obsessed with gigantic animals, so I can't believe no, I haven't heard of it. Yeah. There's some kind of gigantic bat somewhere i couldn't even tell you where i think it's asia and it's like it's like maybe the size of like a toddler with his wings <laughs> spread for sure like yeah there are some that are like the size like the body's the size of a fox yes flying foxes like Ugh. yeah oh no they're there but that's what's funny is like the bigger the bat the more likely they just like eat fruit like <laughs> you know what i mean like the bigger the bat the more they're like oh yeah no i'm just vibing with grapes and you know other <laughs> accoutrement that i find it's like the little ones that like suck blood and do strange things right so they're very 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 prone to rabies yes which is why why i never want to touch you did yeah like i'm yeah yeah, and i yeah yeah sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i don't know if i told the story about a friend of mine i grew up in a town of like two thousand people in like a rural area but and a friend of mine still lives there my friend leah and her husband last summer one night woke up and he thought the cat the cat had like climbed on him and the cat had put something on his chest and he thought it was just a cat toy but it was a bat a dead bat the cat no it was <laughs> totally alive the cat like came in <laughs> dropped it and then they had to like quarantine the cat she had to be like locked in a room anyway oh yeah and then he he had to get like a ton of painful shots oh yeah no the rabies a friend of mine was randomly bitten by a dog in a park while she was running and didn't like you know in the panic didn't get any information and they were like to be safe we have to give you the rabies like treatment and it's like shots into the same area over and over over like it's a terrible treatment like it's and it, i mean you have to do it because you your other option like, you can't not do it um your other option is literally horrible. going mad with rabies yeah it's <laughs> it's a terrible choice like there's yeah. anyway so fun animal facts today on camera. Yeah, finally, yeah, that's people are getting the information they yeah. need from this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, true facts only. Yeah, <laughs> that's the size of people. True facts only. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about the marigold since we're talking about horrific things. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a good segue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's do it. So let's yeah. let's talk about that because, like, I and I was reading it, and like, you know, I work for ECW, so like, we talk about the marigold like fucking constantly, which is like. <laughs> <laughs> Happens a lot. We're very happy with it. I should say, Andrew, I don't know if you know, like the cover design process for the Marigold when those final, when those, that was the funnest we've ever had in like cover meetings was for the Marigold because those covers, even like the ones you we didn't do were still super great. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. There was like three or four that were just, I mean, I have some where I'm even like, could we like, yeah, Joe Walker is brilliant. Um, you know, she's done a lot of Jeff Vandermeer covers, Gia Tolentino, like Jenny Awful. Like she's done really great stuff and she has a really clear idea of what she wants to do with like, yeah, I would say totally that was my feeling is they sent me them all and I was like, 
maybe I don't like one of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were and, all so good, yeah. Yeah, and usually, like, I am, uh, I can be, or, like, I I know it's important for me to be a prick about, you know, art choices and how a book looks and what it means. And, you know, I've been lucky that all my books, I'm happy with how they look, but I'm also always prepared to be like, no. <laughs> Uh, and in this case, I was it was just amazing to have that sort of bounty to choose from um, and, you know, do this kind of strange, freaky book and boil it down to like a singular image that really just gets it across. Um, so I'm really, really, yeah, thrilled with it, honestly, how it looks and how it feels too. even they really they stuck the landing through the design too. you know, the, the, the titles raised the feel of the book is apparently referred to colloquially as human skin. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, is, it that, is it that matte? Laminate? Yeah, it's kind of got that matte where yeah. like if you touch it, you have a fingerprint on it forever, uh, yeah. which isn't great for photos, but feels really good. I mean, mine is very fingerprinty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very fingerprinty. Like, uh, but I think it does, like it feels good when you have it. Like you want to touch it. Which is good for a book. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. human skin is very, very apt for your book, though, because of the the bubbling human mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that was part of. I mean, yeah, like the idea of the marigold was to, you know, write something that's still sort of for me coming from like a lot of my, you know literary heroes but working a lot of the gooey gumpy stuff of genre into it and doing it in like a loving way in a way where i respect all the stuff um and then still try to create you know create characters who people will definitely hate uh and and, um and kind of have them you know confront you know people talk about like cosmic horror out in space or other stuff but i think you can put it on the ground and just say cosmic horror of like the earth and Mm -hmm. of people and the ground and how little we know. And then, yeah, um, the idea that all these people could sort of, you know, disappear into a collective sludge. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. uh, you know, and that kind of, you know, raises like the individual versus the collective and where people find themselves and the dangers of both. Um, but just kind of trying to make a lot of that shit literal was fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Also, you just were talking about sort of, your influences and and bringing all the stuff that you love into this book and you did an incredible twitter thread in the lead up to the release of the book and i i love that i thought it was um a gr- actual great use of social media um to sort of bring in all the things that were kind of rolling through your mind as you were creating this book and you then you were also kind of paying tribute to all those things um so I just I just really loved that I thought it was such a a great way to to kind of prepare the world for this novel yeah I think like it's a like Jen my editor oh man it's so funny with ECW it's like Jen my editor you're like okay which one there's like (laughs) oh yeah there's the Seven, gens, uh, I think there's five gens. Yeah, there's five gens. So Jen Albert was very right from the start. She was like, okay, we need to get an arc out of this like a year before it's out because it's a complicated book and we need people to actually read it and boil it down to like things they can talk about. Um, and so I was really lucky that we were able to kind of get that lead time. But then also, yeah, I because it is 
a polyphonic, lots of voices, lots of ideas kind of boiling away. I wanted to show, you know, I don't think I'm a genius or anything. Like I, I'm drawing from all these different things. This is where these things come from. I'm part of all these different traditions. I respect them, but I'm also trying to do something new. And, you know, you don't want to be the guy online every single day for four months being like, buy my book today. Or <laughs> here's my cover. Or And so instead, it's like, you know, admitting like as an artist that you do have influences and that you do care about things. But also that those influences are more than just like top 60 horror novels that you ever read and why they scared the shit out of you. It's like, no, like... I love Iris Murdoch. I'm going to talk about her. You know, I love, you know, the, the like early, you know, seasons of like a certain TV show, like The Shield or something. I want to talk about why that's part of it. I want to, you know, dig into even, you know, like how like getting tattooed has affected how I see writing and like how I relate to other artists and how I see writing as work and like all that shit is important to talk about. And yeah, if you, if you scroll up, yes, my book is at the top with a picture of my dog. (laughs) That's how you do it. But you know, every day I'm, you know, talking about a different artist and why I think they're interesting. And I think that's, you know, people respond to that more than look how great I am and how important I am every day. Uh, Not that as a writer, you shouldn't do that. I mean, some days you do have to be your own best advocate, you have to, you know, be the person who's there saying, this is my book. This is why it's good. But it's very good, I think, to kind of share your space with other people. And so same thing when I'm doing like readings or other things, too. It's like, OK, well, how can I, you know, spread this around rather than just try to make it only me? Um, so, yeah, I, I had fun doing it. And it seems to have resonated with people, which was really cool. I feel like what you've just said is like exactly what collective sludge means like <laughs> spreading it around making it more people. <laughs> sorry i couldn't help myself also collective sludge very good name for a band i don't oh. know why no one's done this yet agree i mean I, I, I you might want to copyright it yet. <laughs> no i was actually gonna say though like about that idea that novels um what inspires us to write Novels in particular take a lot of stuff. Like it's all this disparate material that we, you know, sometimes only see or, you know, look at in passing, but it lodges in your brain somehow. And this is actually something that like when somebody asks me who's not a writer, like how, like what inspires you or like how do you write a novel? I'm like, it takes way more material than you think it ever will. Totally. I think it's very like, the idea that there's just like a single seed and it all grows from there. I mean, that's just like, if you believe that, like, that's just like pure ego. I think like, I think it's totally, it's all those, like, it's even like a weird comment you heard at the coffee shop. It's like an incident that you witnessed on transit or something, or, you know, even just sitting around shooting the shit about, you know, what kind of animals have broken into your apartment, you know, all of that (laughs) kind of coalesces and adds up and sort of, there is almost sort of like a layering of, you know, you put enough incident and moments and emotion, and then eventually you have something. Uh, But if the idea that it's like a one day thing or that there's a singular inspiration, yeah, I don't think that's, that may be true of a story or a character, but like for a whole novel, it's 
seems overwhelming to me to just try to pin it to one thing. I think you're right. Well, you can't do it. I was actually going to say too about the marigold is that like, I know people talk about it being horror, but it's, it's actually, I think it's uh, mostly social satire with like, sludge like so like like how, how do you feel about that like because I, I i feel like i'm i'm reading it and i'm like andrew's making fun of stuff he's making fun of stuff <laughs> oh yeah i kept notes about all the things i liked that you were making fun of yeah yeah i was like yeah. yes yes check check like yeah yeah no it is like to me yeah no you guys are right like i think especially if you understand like the context i think it is it's a satire for sure like it's it's a satire with, I mean, I was kind of like, yes, yeah, it's like a broader sort of social satire of like a near future real estate market. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, my editor was like, yeah, but then there's like a zombie in the sewers. So we kind of have to, <laughs> uh, you know, we got to, so I do think, you know, some horror people are, do bounce off of it because it's not, you know, Oh, like I, I wasn't shitting myself in fear. I'm like, I'm more interested in dread and like the accumulation of like what's happening to us. And also the fact that, you know, like time as time is passing, like more and more sort of responsibilities falling off the state and onto like private corporations and to people. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're having less and less sort of like collective responsibility and it's sort of being shunted shunted aside. And that, you know, that's horror to me. That's, that's terrifying to me. Um, but I, yeah, no, I am, can be a little bit of like a mean man sometimes, I guess. And why not in a book? Uh, so the satire is definitely there. No, no, it's like, like I definitely was just having fun, I think in a lot of ways. And I, yeah, I don't think it's a comedy in the way of like Stephen Leacock kind of prize oh, shit no even no, though none if of us, Stephen leacock does want to acknowledge this book that's great <laughs> but none of us are writing Stephen leacock you yeah, know, yeah, some, yeah so it is sketches. more of a yeah it's it's kind of just like a bit mean it's a bit uh yeah i'm a very aware of what i'm taking shots at i guess and having fun with it i do want it to be fun in some ways and well, so i love that you're saying that it's fun because that was another one of my notes questions was just that like i really had fun reading this book and then i was like oh maybe i'm a sicko but i think that's part of the appeal of this type of book like i'm not a horror girl you know right i like literally spent so many years having nightmares and not sleeping um but I like the the combination of satire with horror. I think they're really fitting co-genres um, because when you're, I think sometimes you feel the same thing when you're laughing as when you're scared. There's that yep. heightened experience. Um, yeah, and I think I guess, yeah, like I wanted I want you to keep talking a little bit more about like what is so enjoyable about kind of even the horror genre specifically. There's so many people who who love horror in general and they're like the funnest people. <laughs> well, I think part of it is like I, I think the parallel you're noticing there is real. Like I think and I think a lot of sort of more genre typeified fiction. It's often, you know, comedy and horror are working a lot on, like, timing and, you know, subverting expectations, set set up and then undermining and then, you know, joke structure is almost the same as, like, horror structure where 
yeah, okay, are we doing the rule of three? One, two, and you're expecting the third thing? No, I pull the rug out from you. It's over already. You're done. Let's go back again. You're very aware of the traditions that have come before you, and you're very, you know, you're playing with them ideally. You know, you know, you can just do very broad stuff if you want to, but I think both sort of rely on timing and expectations of the reader. Um, so they are quite reliant on an audience that's like aware of what genres they're in, um, but also an audience that's willing to play along um, and be sort of part of the story. Uh, and so I think horror works that way because you are being forced to imagine part of it, especially in a book, like you are sort of, you know, you're making yourself, you're getting interpolated, you're complicit. You could just put the book down if you didn't want to. It's not a movie where it's just hitting you. Like you can stop at any sentence, but I think you have to imagine, you know, just how bad this monster is or what, you know, Cabeza in my book looks like you know, you're having to kind of put these pieces together. Um, and the same thing goes for, you know, the jokes as well, or for the satire. It's like, you have to kind of come to the table with some reference in your own brain of like, what, where yeah. this is going or yeah. what we're pulling down. Also, um, I love Cabeza and I pictured um, them being really cute because I yeah. was like, really, into, I was like, oh, so cute. Like, I'm <laughs> There's adding, a strong adding to like my sicko brain while i was reading this i was like oh what a what a sweetie like just <laughs> yeah no I, there there's a strong contingent specifically of podcast types by the way who who are like oh no cabeza is sweet angel baby number one best <laughs> best sludge love never abandon always love cabeza yeah put them yeah put it put them put it. think of sort of the fandoms of horror where yeah. they they draw their fan art and it's like somebody like Henrietta cradling like little baby cabeza. Like I just yeah. I can really picture yeah, like it's I'm, it's, I'm glad you're building that up. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Like, I, we, we really, want that. I can really see this happening. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of like a lot of the I I didn't finish watching the show, but the, uh, there was a lot of like fan art that kept appearing from the last of us. And it was like <laughs> real, real baby. And I'm like, this is a upsetting situation, but like, yeah, great. Go for it, man. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Embrace your inner sicko. I mm -hmm. think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> the sicko at the way. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. get that. Meme that's my favorite guys. meme. It's my favorite yeah. meme. Yeah. I, that's how I feel. I, Everything I like, I'm like, yeah, like that's my essence. Yeah, sicko. pressed up against the glass. Yeah, sicko, sicko mode. Window. Yeah, yeah, sicko at the window. I think, I think that's kind of where like I wanted to go with this book, where it was like, I'm going to, you know, there's no reason to be shy about it being horror or something like that. Like I respect it a lot. I've consumed it a lot. I think a lot of you know genre communities can sometimes feel you know, disrespected or not part of a conversation, but I think it's, you know, to me, that's can be like the language. And I think Jeff Vandermeer has previously called it like the language of defeat where like, you're already admitting a concession and it's like, no, why would you do that? Like you, your stuff is just as important. You don't have to walk in thinking you're about to get bullied. Like you are part of the conversation. And I think no, in film, we know everyone does. that's for poets. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, know yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> 
sorry, poets. I'm one of you. Yeah. I know, but it's like, that's the vibe. Yeah. I think like the idea, you know, that I don't know from film, especially in Canada, like, who gets taken more seriously as a Canadian filmmaker than like David Cronenberg? It's like, Oh, he's got a new movie. We all have to watch it, talk about it, whatever. Like you can bring that same sort of level of, you know, attention to horror in books as well as in film. And I think Mm -hmm. that sort of overlap, you know, guys like JG Ballard who were writing, you know, sci-fi in the seventies that still gets taken seriously or whatever, whatever that means. I think that's an option for a lot of genre fiction that just needs to, you know, be confident about what it is and why it's being written. And, you know, the Marigold, I felt very, you know, confident about why I wrote that book. You know, I wrote a couple books before that didn't sell. And I was like, all right, I'm going to write the fucking craziest thing I can. I'm going to put everything I can into it. I'm going to, you know, pound this out. You know, it was way longer the first draft. But, you know, I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to edit it down. I'm going to weigh every sentence. I'm going to work really hard with an editor who gets it. I think my first editorial note from Jen Albert was like 8,000 words. (laughs) You know, it was like, oh, shit. Like, (laughs) it was a big book, right, with a lot of ideas. And, like, she was like, I don't want to have to do more work. Like, you go rewrite this, basically. And we'll be good to go. And we were because it was like someone who was able to weigh all the pieces and understood where I was coming from. But taking all that seriously and not just thinking, you know, I was smart enough to do it all by myself, but doing something big and crazy because why not? It's a fucking book. You can do it. Um, I think all that really contributed. And, you know, the humor is there if only because that's me. Like, that's what I like. And that's, you know. Uh, there is a scene where, uh, I think it's, this is not too much of a spoiler, but my villain, Stanley Marigold, uh, his assistant falls down a pit and he's like, oh, that sucks. But it only really (laughs) hits him when he goes to his car and he realizes she had the keys. He's like, ah, fuck. Like, that's the upsetting part is that she had his keys. Well, he Uh, he can't do anything now because he doesn't like know. Yeah. He doesn't know any phone numbers. He can't help any. It's like about, you know. It's, you know, she died, whatever, but now his life is inconvenienced. And like, to me, that's, (laughs) you know, there were early, there were early reviews that were like, oh, it's sort of like succession. And I was like, no, mate, like, I do think there is like a little bit of that, but only because there literally are all these kind of paternal dynamics in the book. It's well, and also like late stage capitalism too, right? Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like we deal we deal with multiple dads in the book as well. And like there's a contrast between like rich dad, poor dad. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dad dad exposed for corruption, dad rewarded for corruption. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Dad who maybe fell down a hole. Dad who is maybe a monster sludge thing. Dad who yeah, yeah. It is a book of dad dad stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of dad stuff. Dad dad is like a full conspiracy theorist. Uh, That's my favorite dad. But what are Andrew's dad issues? Is what I want to know. Yeah, (laughs) I think. Well, I think honestly, uh, my dad is great. He is a butcher. He is a. uh, That makes me laugh for some reason. I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) I don't know. His name is Ed Sullivan. Oh. It's like, butcher. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like quite a boy named Sue for him, but it's like on the it's on a scale of boy named Sue. It's in there somewhere. 
I think this is what happens when you're like Irish people in the 60s and you don't have TV. Like, you're just like, that's a good name. Boom. You don't think about the repercussions. Uh, but no, I have a great relationship with my dad. Um, he's, it was never like a big reader or writer, but he's super supportive of the writing. Like, he's always, but he was always like, oh, but you have a job, right? Like, it's a, yeah. like, fair, fair, like, fair, fair. But he was never like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. He was always like, oh, that's so cool. And he reads my books. He reads books about, you know, my books, books about, the Blue Jays, books about Neil Young, and I think Elmore Leonard novels now, which I got him onto. So Ooh. he's, yeah, he finds stuff he likes and he, he's open to it, but it's not like his first thing. Uh, but I think the dad stuff is there uh, because I think that's a lot of like how, you know, men are kind of processing their place in the world and sort of who the figures are that they're meant to emulate or follow and when those aren't there or when those are conflicted, um, you know, you kind of end up trying to see like, what am I supposed to emulate or how am I supposed to yeah. live my, my, my truth, I guess. Um, and I have been lucky theme? to have people yeah. who do that, but I think a lot of the time, you know, I was, uh, I'm an eldest of everything. So I don't have older brothers. I don't have older cousins. And I have like 17 cousins on one side. Like I'm the first of a generation on both sides. So I'm a forerunner. So any of sort of the, you know, men who I was or male figures in my life I was looking up to, you know, they're dad type figures because I don't have older brothers. I don't have anybody. Um, and so, yeah, I think that kind of led into it. I think I often get put into sometimes a dad role in some of my friendships because it's like, well, I am the oldest, so I will, <laughs> even if I'm younger, it's, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, no, it's, it's, it's definitely like rich to mine. And I think it's, uh, something that comes up in all my books. I was um, going to say, this is an ongoing theme. This yes. Kind of, and it, it'll be there of- in the handyman method too, which is, uh, much more vicious about being a man and much more cynical about, uh, in a good way, like in a, in a, this, why this is bullshit kind of way. Um, boiling it down to sort of the desperation to be taken seriously and to be seen as like a figure of power and authority. And why is that important? Why do we value that? And why should we care about that? Um, And that's there definitely in the Marigold. I think that's most of Stanley Marigold's arc. I think that's Soda's inability to kind of survive is because he's chained himself to an idea of his father. Um, Yeah, it's definitely all over everything I do. Um, but I think in a generative way for me, rather than like, a, it's, it's not keeping me up at night. It's, it's, if anything, pushing me to create more, uh, which I think is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was gonna, something you touched on earlier, like you said, it was like a book with lots of stuff in it. And then, you know, your editorial notes were like 8,000 words long, but did you ever feel like, I'm like, there's a world building aspect to this book, right? Like so much of it is like you probably just sitting by yourself thinking, how am I going to put all this stuff and make it work? How did that feel for you? Like how much of that actual sitting and just building did you have to do? And like, did it ever, you were like, screw it. It's too much. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah. Like there was definitely times where I was, you know, and then I get complaints now where they're like, I would have liked more into the world building. I'm like, no, I cut that back because there can be too much. And I think it is sort of that old sort of principle where it's like, yeah, like I know more than what's in the book. And that means Mm -hmm. I had to think of more, but you know, maybe I'm only showing 
30% of what I know about that world because that's what's relevant. Um, I think for me it was fun, but I didn't want it to be just what the book was about because I do think that's boring. I think trying to build novels out of lore rather than character uh, is limiting and isn't really fun to read. <laughs> like, uh, if it's just like a recitation of the mythology, it's not really exciting. Um, and it's not really revealing anything except like sort of a, yeah, like if I wanted to read a Dungeons and Dragons manual, I could just do that. Um, so for me, it was sort of what is, what do I want to show on the page and what do I value in the story? And there were definitely times, you know, my, one of my, my agent back in the day, Steph Sinclair, who's now over at MS, uh, she read an early draft and was like, you're explaining too much. You're like spending pages kind of telling us stuff. And it's like, just show that in the story. That's really basic advice, but it was true. I, I was, if anything, probably like, ooh, are people getting it? And even now, like if I, if I, you know, I spelunk down into the depraved depths of Goodreads, there's people who are like, too confusing, <laughs> incomprehensible, too stuff. You know, you have to trust, you, you can't write to, the, to your worst reader. You got to no. write to your best reader. And... You can't write to the bad faith people who will, you know, come for you for any sort of, you know, you do have to listen and make sure you're, you know, aware of what you're doing. Yeah. But a bad faith reader is always going to read in bad faith. There's not a way to placate them. So I think for me, it was really the world building. Part of it only happened because I based it in Toronto, because then I had like a frame of real reference. And I could get weird, but then anchor you with, it's still Toronto. It's still like this city that you kind of know or have heard of. So you're anchored. Um, and then I'm pulling you sort of deeper. I've set it up and now I'm pulling you underneath. And you're believing in that or you're suspending your disbelief because I've given you enough markers that you know where you are. Um, but when the pandemic started, I was probably like 70% through the book. And I was like, oh, no everything's going to change. We're all going to come together and we're going to, and you know, three months later I was like, Oh no, this, no, I was onto something. I got to finish this novel. <laughs> I got to, I got I to gotta whip through this shit. Cause um, you know, the stuff I was talking about or the ideas that were there to me, they maybe even took better shape, you know, like threshold did become sort of this large corporate um, entity that doesn't even really understand what it's doing. Cause it got too big. And it's no longer, you know, trusting itself. Um, you know, governments were sort of handing responsibility over to the private sector. Uh, people were just having to go about their daily lives while shit was going to shit, you know. And people also were believing like, oh, well, I'm being very moral and proper and I'm staying home and taking care of myself. And look at these people who aren't. And I'm like, who do you think's delivering your food? Like, who do you think's working in a hospital right now? Like, I like I know you think you're at, like, summer camp, but there's a world of people who still have to, you know, go out there every day. And all that was already in the Marigold, but it just felt more clear after, you know, two or three months to keep writing. Um, and the fact that the book, you know, gets so weird with the goo and the sludge and the voices... Uh, to me, it's still built on that foundation of like exploitation and sort of, um, you know, we talk a lot about dystopia with this book, but Jen 
Albert sort of defined it as like, and one of a guy who read it recently too, as like urban fatigue rather than decay or uh, just a sort of apocalyptic fiction that is not about elimination, but about moving through a world that's already failing you and having to still live up to your obligations and still do your job. Uh, Cause if you don't, no one will care. Like, you don't get a, you don't get a pass. Yeah. Because like, oh, I'm you know the world's falling to shit and I'm depressed. Everything sucks and it's like yeah, and you still have to pay rent. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, There's so like, much guess, of that in this book. Yeah, like I guess yeah, the alternate tile could be like the marigold landlords at the end of the world, but it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you know, they still want that nut, you know? Yeah. yeah no, oh. I, I mean, you you manage so many characters in the book. Like we have our sort of primary characters and their lives are, are we're seeing so much of what they're experiencing, but then you also have these sections in the book that are just about the sweets in the marigold. Yeah. And I loved those sections so much. And part of it was exactly in some ways what you're saying about this urban fatigue, but in some, I don't know, it just made me think about like, we, when you live in the city it just added this other layer, this very urban, like, even though there's always people living right next to us, there's always people sharing a wall. There are always people that we don't know that are in our, that are in our like outer sphere. And we just have no concept of what they're going on. And I feel like in some ways that mirrored like the wet, the, this community of goo um, because in one, they're kind of being shut out because we're in our little, they're in their little apartment pods. And then in this other one, they're sort of like compelled forced to be together. But I just wondered if how you incorporated those sweet scenes in the, in the condo of the Marigold, like what were you thinking in terms of like bringing that into the to the narrative overall. Yeah, I think they were there from the very beginning. Like that was the essence of the book. I wanted to have these sweet chapters and they're exactly what you're speaking to there where like, I'm not, I don't believe I'm like an especially subtle writer or anything. Like these are scenes of alienation, objection, isolation that the wet itself as an organism feeds off of that seeks these people out because it knows that they are willing to give themselves up to be part of something because there's, they have so little left. Um, It might be better to be part of something bigger than to be alone anymore, Um, which I think is a really real feeling, especially in that sort of in an urban cold setting like that, where, um, and I think that's something that has resonated more with readers who have lived in cities or lived in buildings. Like, there's a lot of people who are like, why are there all these random people in this book? And it's like, <laughs> do you think there that maybe was intentional? I don't know. That's just me, the author. Uh, but they're there because it is sort of like this collective life is still going on as like the plot, which I never like the plot is, you know, what's happening to people. And but there's all these people who seem incidental, but they are still part of it. They just don't know it. You know, even my four primary or five primary people 
they're all pursuing the wet in a different way. They all think they understand it. And in the end they don't. And that's the horror of the novel is like believing that you will triumph and what happens when you don't. Um, But all these little side characters who pop up and pop in, they do add some flavor and texture to the world, which I do think is important if you're doing genre stuff to have that tactile feel of this is a lived in place. This is a place that has people who had hopes and dreams and aspirations that maybe were thwarted and you can see it in how they live or what they're in, they're searching for. And I think every sweet chapter is basically kind of an expression of that angst, that isolation, that alienation and desire for connection. And that is where the wet uh, seizes its moment (laughs) is and them in the process. I mean, it's an extremely uh, visceral book too. Like yes. everything is, things are tactile, things are happening. You also touch on one of my favorite things, uh, which is sinkholes, because I really think when I'm really mad, I never say, well, that's not true. Sometimes I do say, I wish people were dead, but often I prefer to just be like, oh, I wish that person would fall in a sinkhole because it feels like a random occurrence and I didn't do it and I didn't compel anyone to do it. It just happened. And then that person is in the sinkhole and I don't, you know, but in this book, that's like a reality that everyone is navigating every day that a sinkhole could appear and it could fuck you up. Oh, yeah. One opened up literally downtown Toronto the day after my book came out. No way. No. Really? Yeah. yeah. April 19th, Tuesday. Shit. Or no, it happened the day my book came out. And I remember it was not big, but it was real. Oh, my God. And uh, it, like, happened. And it's small enough for a person, this one, but it can grow really fast. So I'm just sharing this in the chat with you guys. But. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, like my book came out April 18th, right? And this article is from April 19th. Whoa. Oh my God. So like Toronto was built on a lot of fill, right? And it's on a lake and there's lots of rivers and creeks and things underneath it. It is a very wet place. It is a place that is very tenuous in a lot of, to me. Um, It's not built on like a desert mesa, you know, like it's, um, you know, what's under the city is, you know, fragile in a way. And so this is a very small sinkhole I sent you, but there've been much larger ones. And often it just takes a small one to become a big one. Right. Uh, So yeah, it's very real in Toronto that sinkholes happen (laughs) and it's very real. That's the thing is like with the Marigold, which is, you know, it is a speculative book. It is a sci-fi horror book. It is, that's almost just me though doing like a little bit of spinal tap where I'm just taking every dial and I'm just writing 11 on it and then just turning it slightly like, yes, there's sinkholes and we've just upped how often they're happening. Yes. They're raccoons and we've just upped slightly how smart they are. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Like, yes, there's like a, a terrible black mold in your apartment. I've just turned the dial slightly. But when all those dials are turned on at the same time, it is hyper real. I'm not going for pure realism. And all those things feel like super defeating to humanity in their own way. And I think that's why, I don't know, they they all kind of perfectly fit into that sort of just the way we think we can control and then seeing the results of we cannot. 
Yeah, I think that's a big part of the book for me. And like at the same time has led like some young readers to accuse me of being an eco-fascist. No, it's just like the idea that like, <laughs> like that's come up. There's been some unique critiques, but uh, are, you, are you going in deep on that Goodreads page, Andrew? No, I was like, I, it's more, I it's more like you. that net okay. galley page, Jen. No, okay. I, no, it's more just like I'm interested, especially early on, because it is a book that spans different genres. And it's like, okay, what, where are these readers coming from who expect a hero? I'm never ever in my whole career going to write like a heroic like I'll tell you that now it's not happening. Uh but no just the idea of like how people see these issues is interesting to me. I be- I have stopped looking as often as I did because it's out now and it exists. But early on it was like okay, who's going to pick up this weird book? Um who are the readers? Uh and in this case though, yeah, I do think I think that's where the lot of the comedy is coming from for me too, or the satire is the idea that we are smart is like the idea that like we have things under control. It is funny. (laughs) It's funny. Like it is funny to think that you understand an entire city. It is funny to believe that you can control the natural world without any repercussions. Um, Or that, you know, just because you're winning now means you're winning forever. Uh, I think any disaster that happens shows like how weak and feeble our attempts to control the world are. I think we do a very good job of destroying it, but at the same time, you know, that can change very quickly. Um, we're already seeing this in like Florida with their condo buildings collapsing and other things. Like, again, a lot of this is not beyond the realms of possibility. I've just amped it all up at the same time. I've just turned every dial all the way. Um, and I do believe, yeah, like the arrogance of my characters or the arrogance of our belief about ourselves uh, is kind of what drives a lot of the humor for me in the book and also the plot. Because it's all people believing, I figured it out, I'm going to solve the problem, I don't need anyone else's help, and where do you end up when that happens? Yeah. And yet... We're still laughing about all of that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I mean it's still funny. It's still, it's still. Funny. I think I think that's what you're searching for sometimes too, right? Is like sort of a mini catharsis of like, oh yeah, the horrible thing happened, but now it's over, and I can go, you know, make some pasta. Like you, you kind of, you know, you work out the demons a little bit, and you flex them, you take them for a trot around the neighborhood or your mind, and then you go back to your life. Um, and so horror and comedy and things like those are all rewarding for me in that way. It's, you know, thought experiments to then go back to your life. I can be as horrible as I want to be in a novel and then, um, you know, go back to my daily life and generally hopefully, you know, treat the people I love and care about with respect and not throwing them down terrible holes to fester. Uh, yeah, don't throw balance. Iggy down a hole. Don't no, Iggy, Iggy. I mean, Iggy dictates my life. I don't really, yeah, yeah I don't have a ton of that say. That seems yeah. accurate. That seems accurate. Yeah, I mean, when you're picking up another organism's poop every day, you really got to like, you have to ask like, am I in control? Is it, is, is this my life? Uh, yeah, yeah, but we love it. But we oh, love yeah, it. I agree. No, I love it. But it is like, it keeps you a little humble, I hope, to to bend over. <laughs> Put on the plastic glove and participate very yeah. closely. And hold your breath while you're doing it. <laughs> it's a, yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> Last night I was trying to explain to Jen about there's one just incredible moment in the book 
where a character has a tarot reader come and the tarot cards are like, it's like a diva tarot cards. I just want to know it's one of those small details in a book that has so many small details, but I just loved it. (laughs) Of course. I loved it so much. It was delightful. You wrote that for us, didn't you, Andrew? That was for Jen and Dina. Yeah, it was for Jen and Dina. <laughs> I mean, a, a close friend of mine is like a professional tarot reader. Like I've bumped up against that a lot in my life. And it was, I, I thought it would be funny to the people who do know tarot to like have this terrible reading it was, uh, experience. I just could not get over it. Yeah, it was sort of, I had once been hanging out with a friend of mine in Toronto and one of his roommates had somebody come over for a reading. And then they left like 10 minutes in. And I was like, what happened in there? Oh, we, our, our energies were just off. And I, so I was like, okay, I have to write something about, I didn't need more than that. You know, I'm not going to like take someone's life experiences, but the fact of like a guy comes over to do a tarot reading and just immediately it's like, Ooh, no, this is not, what is this deck? What are you doing? Like oh. the first card is a share card. Yes. That is oh, like, yeah. I just, yeah. Oh, no, uh, Diva deck. I mean, I do have an affinity for the Divas as well. I mean, I am a Dolly Parton fan. I am a, you know. Yeah, there's a Dolly card. It's just, it's, it's Dolly a card. little detail. Oh, my yeah. God. A while ago, uh, I was in a little bookstore. I'm just remembering this. And I saw a pasta tarot deck and I immediately sent a photo to Daniel. I was like, you have to know about this. This is one of the most important things I could ever tell you. This pasta tarot deck exists in the world. Yeah. I'm some definitely, I'm definitely that. getting it for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. My God, some... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. First created in 1803, the Zomp deck, you know, yeah, reaches the... <laughs> back through the Italian tradition of tarot. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're the we're the stregas of Cantlet. <laughs> I mean Amber Dawn too, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. work work them in. Yeah, 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 yeah no, yeah, everybody. Yeah. yeah, you can't cut people out. But no. yeah, no, that was in there. I mean, I think I think everything I put in, I do try to put in with the correct amount of detail and like know what I'm talking about. I'm yeah. not just. I'm not. I'm glad you read it that way oh. because that's how I put it in there. It was not a dunk on people who do tarot. No. It was a dunk on no, bad no, tarot. No, no, no. <laughs> it was just extremely. Everything about it was unexpected, and that's I think also what made it so great. And there's lots of little moments like that within the book um, that are yeah, just no. But I'm really great details. Yeah. I'm really glad that resonated. That I feel good about that. It's, it's just uh, good to hear, like, because I did. I was like, oh man, some people may think I'm like just being an asshole, but no, like this was done with love and care. No, it was too. wonderful. It was wonderful. Okay. Yeah, because there are times when Andrew can be mean about stuff, but not about tarot. Yeah. Everyone needs to know. Listen, I think yeah. the three of us can agree we can all be mean. Yeah, but a, not about tarot. Not about tarot. That's true. Yeah. The three of us specifically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh man. Okay, this conversation was incredible. Um, Jen, do you feel ready to be emotional? Sure. Okay. Through my all right. So everyone, it is now time for Jen's emotion corner. Please gird your own emotions. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, go. 
Okay, so newsflash, guess what? Lingering mild depression is terrible. This is, <laughs> I am fine. Like, I'm fine. No one needs to worry about me. I'm functional. I'm working. But the one thing I know that I know I'm, I'm depressed is that my book came out in January and I have not been enjoying the spring book season as much as I should. I actually really like meeting readers. I really like doing stuff and I have not really enjoyed it as much as I should. Um, all of this to say like the events have been great. Like I've like they've objectively looked good from my distance between layers of depression, but it's all just kind of like covered in this like fuzzy layer. And I think I haven't, me personally haven't been depressed really for a long time, not like to this degree. And one of the things that like always comforted me in the past is that depression is a temporary state for the most part. All of these things do pass, but this one's been going on for a while. And even though like my depressions have like passed before and it will be true for this time again, I'm sure it's just hard to believe right now. So, you know, I'm fine. Nobody needs to feel sorry for me, but if you see me, just like, you know, don't poke me with sticks. <laughs> don't poke Jen with sticks. The official <laughs> new merchandise of Cantlet. We're going to make shirts. Yeah. It's going to just say, don't poke Jen with sticks. And there's going to yeah. be Rosie holding a stick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she could poke me with sticks. She's yeah. like, she probably does. you know. It's Rosie surrounded by a bunch of sticks snapped in half. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, is she defending me from the sticks? Yeah, that she, actually- she's attacking the sticks. One at a time, authoritatively breaking yeah. them down. Yeah. yeah, you know it's funny. Um, sometimes my son and I play this game where we we fight, we pretend to fight each other, and the uh, amount of upset that that occurs for Rosa, like, she makes this weird gerbily noise, and she's trying to bite our hands, and she's like, "Stop it! We're lovers, not fighters." Lover. No, no, she's she's we're, she's not a lover actually. Anyway, Dina, are you ready for your rage minute? I'm ready. Okay, ready, go. Okay, taxes, just doing them, thinking about them. I'm fine with paying taxes, but please, everyone who is not making hundreds of thousands of dollars, you got to give us a break. We are out here trying to buy like novelty sunglasses just for some dopamine. Um, I'm out of antipasto. It's very upsetting to me. And I can't (laughs) find the edible cookie dough that I like. How am I supposed to snack without these two very important items? Am I expected to not stack? Snack on these extremely disparate foods? No, thank you. Commuting, it's terrible. I miss the years that I used to get to walk to work. And you know what? I took it for granted. And I'm an asshole for that. I I have so many regrets. But getting on public transportation and having someone's backpack pressed into your chest or your nose, and then that impulse to just start pushing back against them when they keep bumping into you and pressing their Herschel the size and weight of a six-year-old into your body over and over and over again. You think that you could knock that person over, but you have to remember we live in a society. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what's going on. Live in a society. Don't poke me with sticks. Don't stick your backpack in Dina's face. Thank you. (laughs) Both very good. Yeah. No. Please. I think. Yes. Transit etiquette, guys. Let's be real. Backpacks off. Take them off. Put it between your legs. You know, really kind of work on those core muscles. Just holding (laughs) it straight. You know, honestly, that is a that is a great idea. Yeah. You know, 
Let's try to kill two birds with one stone. And that's don't eat your fucking backpack. Put that's literally the only time I have to exercise. So I should be carrying a backpack and doing that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, leading by example. Yeah. Just yeah, out loud. What if I start? We're all taking our backpacks off now, aren't hey, we? Everybody, and I have a little speaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, What's we're doing that? such There's a good job song. not bumping into each other. Look at us. There's a, there's a song that they used to sing in preschool, like when my kid was little, and I think every preschool does it. It's like we're it's like we're gonna clean up now, or we're hello everybody, it's time to clean up. Like, yeah. What are you gonna do? Hello everybody, it's time to take off our backpacks. Yeah, no, we we need to bring back educational song yeah. in the workplace and in a public setting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Play the play the picking up song at, at large sporting events and other <laughs> at the end of movies. Yeah, it's a. I yeah that. It always blows my mind at the end of the movie. Everyone's like, "Yeah, put yourself on the yeah. throw your garbage around." Like, please don't. What if what if what if our song is backpacks down, but it's like new metal? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The guy. Yeah, we need to get the guy from Corn. He could probably. You know what? He's probably doing fine financially, but oh, it's I'm just sure. like, hey, do you want one last taste of glory? Do you want like, do you want to be remembered by small children everywhere? Have you considered a PSA uh, for people picking up garbage? Think yeah. about it. <laughs> that could be yours. Yeah, that could be yours. Um, so, if you want to find us, you can go to cantlet.ca. You can find us on Twitter, still at Cantlet. You can uh, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And Andrew, if people want to find you, do you want them to find you? Yeah, I mean, they're going to. So, uh, yeah, uh, if they really want to, they can and they will. That is the internet. Terrifying, terrifying mm-hmm. place. Um, yeah, I'm usually at AF Sully with an eye on most accounts, on most web zones and online places. Uh, you will see photos of my dog looking very charming mm-hmm. um, or like an animated loaf of bread that, you know, escaped from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I'm out there. I'm usually talking about my books or being slightly salty. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I am online, unfortunately. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. less in the future. <laughs> you never know. The internet could, as we said, be just infected by some kind of long, (laughs) distressing mold that grows forever, but only online. Yeah. Um, Yeah. This has been such a great episode. Okay. So, Andrew, we have one question left for you. Yeah. It is, what can't you with? Okay. What can't I with is the blue check boys online. Oh, I just, I can't, I can't imagine living in a world where I pay Elon money to post. That seems like honestly the weirdest like fin dom sequence (laughs) on like a large scale that's ever existed. It just, the amount of humiliation and degradation involved for all parties seems obscene. Uh, 
And it's really just like ruining the experience of being on the internet in some ways. So uh, I think that's my biggest can't. I know it's kind of specific to the moment, but it really feels real. Uh, Watching people pay to use a formerly free service that already harvests us and treats human beings like an extractive resource um, and then paying for the privilege is wild. Uh, So, yes, blue checks, please go away. Yeah, like it's in a sinkhole. In a sinkhole. In a sinkhole. That's definitely not my fault. Uh, yeah, it's definitely none of our fault. Get in that sinkhole. Hey, girlies, let's get in the sinkhole. Um, yeah. Look at that hole over there. Let's go check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, getting that. Yeah, paying that eight bucks a month or whatever. I'm guessing with like inflation and transfer, you know, with Canada, it's probably like. 15 or something i think it is um, something like that yeah yeah it's obscene uh that is basically like climbing in a sinkhole and being like this is my new house now <laughs> it's like subterranean living it's super cool and i'm you're definitely just yelling you're yelling up hey hey yeah. guys hey guys yeah. That's i got like I'm a new obsc- book down here it's pretty cool <laughs> if you want to see it. i'm obsessed with my sinkhole oh yeah, my yeah. god uh hey everybody i'm gonna do uh, an apartment tour. So get ready. That's it's going to be great. Also, was it the point of verified Twitter so that you could prove that you had some level of legitimacy and now it's just like 400 people with the exact same account that are like, I'm Sylvester Stallone. And you're like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, no. I think it's good. It shows like, Nothing lasts forever, guys. No. <laughs> you can dissolve your entire life in a brief, wondrous moment of yeah. uh, clicking the wrong button. And you um, know what doesn't last forever? Media literacy. It goes away <laughs> so fast. <laughs> oh, my God. That's true. That's, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't talk about media literacy. My head will explode. I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Let's Listen. save that for like a future depressing conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should do like like a, a mini episode that's just like depressing topics. <laughs> this is can't lit too. When you really can't, yeah, it's yeah. just literally yeah. there's can't no us. no yeah. upside. No, <laughs> no, we're just complaining. Can't lit live from the sinkhole. Hey, yeah. everybody, we're back. <laughs> hey, we're all complaining about like our mother-in-law who doesn't know how to read something with critical thought or like you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. whoever, whoever, yeah. whichever family member you're sure is dipping never into conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, and it's never. I have, I, have a fr- I have a friend like that, and she's very dear to me, and it's really upsetting. It is and upsetting. I actually. Actually, I said to one of my other friends, I was like, if she was like a writer who was famous, I'd have to publicly disavow her. Like, that's how bad it is. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It's good that friend's staying offline. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been an incredible episode. We're going to give it up to the algorithm that consumes. Uh, you will get to listen to it. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much. This was so great. Uh, everybody buy the Marigold, read it, tell your friends, um, scare the people in your life um, that don't like anything scary or sat- satirical, you know, like that's the way to go. 
Uh, oh, and don't forget, I know I always tell you this, please steal your friend's phone, subscribe to the podcast for them. You, they, you don't, they don't have to worry about it. You just take it, you add Cantlet, then they just get it automatically. They're subscribed. Yeah. Dina did that to her friend who is also one of my exes who never listens to the podcast, but that's fine. I was like, <laughs> it's the same as buying the book. I'm like, listen, buddy, you have to just do this for me. I've been your friend for over 20 years. Come on. Yeah, and he was my boyfriend for six weeks, so it's perfect. Yeah, it's called Praxis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Praxis. Was it only yeah. six weeks? I think it was like eight or nine, but I, 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 I don't count it anymore. You know it was what? so long ago. There were six weeks where she was enjoying it, and there was <laughs> – technically it was nine weeks in total. <laughs> I, I know everyone wants to think that I set them up, but it actually was Daniel who suggested they get together. So, Daniel, it's on you, bro. Um, I think Daniel also, or who has that photo of us? The only one doesn't matter. We're not going to no, talk about I this do. now. <laughs> I have a photo of you anyway. Okay. I have multiple photos of the two of you. Wow. We're being super fun. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you want to tune into the after hours, um, can't let it doesn't exist. Thanks everyone <laughs> for listening. Thank you again, Andrew. All right, everybody. We will see you again in the future. Okay. Bye. Mm-hmm.